So, hello everyone. Welcome to Wild and Theology. Hello. My name is sorry. Will. Yeah, you should be sorry, Kaylee. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Will, and this is my co-host. Kaylee, hi. <laughs> so, before I get into the actual podcast itself, uh, I just wanted to say that you don't need to listen to the Stage Purple episode to understand anything said here. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of description to like prepare you for anything you do need to know, but you can just, you're welcome to start with this one. Um, and if uh, you like what we talk about here, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wild and Theology. Same name as the podcast. Um, and uh, we are also going to start accepting people on the podcast who would like to talk about some of their trips and what they learned. So if you're interested in being on the podcast, please contact us on social media. Um, and also, a fun announcement. I'm going to put a link in the description, Yeah. but uh, I recently did a video essay for the Integral Stage on YouTube. This video is about how entheogens relate to integral theories for facets of transformation, growing up, cleaning up, waking up, and showing up, which I do define in the video itself. Uh, I think it turned out really, really well. So please check that out. And thank you so much to Integral Stage. Okay, so getting into the actual <laughs> podcast itself. I think this episode might trigger you. I'm scared. Yeah, you're scared? I mean, yeah, Stage Red kind of scares me a bit. It not is gonna scary. lie. <laughs> I mean, the value system of Stage Red is, is very problematic in today's world. Yeah. Right? Like, it, this is... Uh, or it, Especially as we continue to call out and heal from the effects of colonialism and imperialism, for example, right? Like this is literally the origin of colonialism and imperialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. With that being said, though, all stages of the spiral, um, there are elements that are valuable and arguably first stage red, they are the elements that we need in our post-colonial world now more than ever. Yeah, right. To have healthy integration of these values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, but before I get deeper into that, uh, I want to briefly cover uh, why exactly these stages are important, provide an effective map of human progress, just for the people who may be coming to this for the first time. Perfect. Um, so when we say that spiral dynamics talks about stages of societal development, what we mean is that at each stage there are emergent phenomena that cannot be described by the previous stage. So this isn't to say that one stage is better or worse than any other. It's simply to say that there are emergent phenomena at each stage that only a person or society at that stage is prepared to deal with, mm -hmm. right? So for example, if we talk about globalized society, that stage of development, there are emergent phenomena that cannot be solved by the isolated insular nation state. Um, you know, take climate change. Mm -hmm. This is not a problem that any one nation can solve and requires global collective action and thus a globally, uh, globally oriented psychology. In this sense, a person who is thinking globally has a higher psychology than someone who is only able to think at the level of the nation state or tribe. They just can't include that many diverse peoples into their circle of concern. They're only concerned with their limited nation or their tribe, their limited group of people. Mm -hmm. This is not a matter of dignity or intrinsic value as a human being, but is instead simply about what beliefs can effectively solve 
problems that emerge at a certain level of societal development. Mm -hmm. But like we said in the episode, how real are psychedelic insights? We have to remember that this is just a fake framework. Mm -hmm. It's not that people are at a certain stage. It's that there are certain behaviors and beliefs that are described by these stages. These are convenient ways to talk about certain collections of behavior that naturally follow from one another and naturally emerge from certain life conditions. We shouldn't use these as a way to pigeonhole anyone, nor should we make absolutistic generalizations about any person or group of people based on what spiral dynamics might say about them. This is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is my understanding as well. Yeah, <laughs> I concur. <laughs> what he said. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. is there anything you wanted to say about that? No, oh, yeah, I like that. That's a good distinction, or that's an important consideration to have. Like when we talk about things as being stage red or people as being stage red or any other stage, it's like yeah. everyone is a combination of multiple stages, you know? Exactly. There's influence and values from all of them. Yeah. Or at least a few, maybe not all of them. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. And I mean, I, I would definitely agree. Like yeah. probably, well... That, that's the thing, again, that, like, this is really hard to pin down. Yeah. Like, because you can have, like, one one belief that's, like, staged turquoise. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, or, well, are you at stage turquoise? Or is that belief at stage turquoise? That's yeah. the thing. It's, like, you are not at a stage, but yeah. that belief is. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But, it, and that's really important when it comes to, like, the dignity of people and not, like, turning this into an, an oppressive hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, we're not talking about, like, people and trying to, again, pigeonhole them into a certain stage and say, like, mm -hmm. oh, you're stage red, you're violent, you're this, you're that, the other mm -hmm. thing. It's like, no, no, this is a, a human being. It's just certain beliefs they have can be described by stage red. Yeah. And it's not necessarily true. It, it feels weird to say that, like one isn't necessarily better than the other because something like, well, I mean, obviously you're going to describe stage red, I assume, but like yeah. something like that seems wrong to us now yeah. where we are, but that's from a place of where we are at currently in society yeah. and we see that as wrong. But yeah. all of it is really objectively just a means of survival. Yeah. And it was like totally necessary at that time. Yeah. And like it evolved for a reason, for a purpose. Well, that's just it. And like one of the big things that you, that they kind of hammer into your head while you're reading the book, it, the book's biodynamics is that like, these are survival solutions to life conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, red was, as we'll find out, a very specific set of life conditions that you had to be red. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and we had to go through that stage because we had to go through those conditions to get mm -hmm. us to the point where we can say, oh, we don't agree with what red is all about, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's all part of a process, yeah. you know? And, and we can't, we can't look down on people who are at a certain stage of development or societies that are at a certain stage of development because they need to go through those lessons. Yeah. So what are these problems or life conditions that exist that would lead to a stage red psychology? What are the life conditions that would lead to imperialism and colonialism emerging? Red comes into being in a world of many purple tribes, some of which may mean you harm. You have to stand up for your own purple, and that means you have to be red. Remember from purple that they have very strict modes of being because they don't know uh, how to parse out which is a necessary condition for survival, which is something that's like actually grounded 
in reality and which is a superstitious ritual that is unnecessary. Mm -hmm. So if you've seen someone eat the red frog the elders warned about and they die, you're going to believe them when they say that you shouldn't drink milk during a full moon, mm-hmm. right? If you encounter a tribe that is acting in ways that insult the spirits that dictate this full moon superstition, you are going to be motivated to stop them by force if necessary. Mm-hmm. For all you know, they are bringing storms or earthquakes or any number of other disasters down upon you. The existence of your entire tribe could be at risk. And this is just like one small cause of what is likely an infinite collection of possible causes that could inevitably spark conflict. Mm -hmm. So my point is that red emerges in a very violent, tumultuous world. Mm -hmm. When you are constantly at odds with rival tribes, both cultural practices, limited resources, or simple misunderstandings, not to mention the, the dangers of the natural world, you have to be prepared to defend your tribe to the death. Mm-hmm. This creates an environment in which a psychology that honors the ability to engage in violence emerges, which also inevitably increases violence within a tribe. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what we see in the red psychology. Mm-hmm. So it emerges from when purple is just like all small isolated tribes where within that tribe, everything is fine because they're only confronted with their own worldview. Yeah. But as soon as they start interacting with others, mm. that's when red emerges because there's conflict there. Yeah. So and it's about like expanding beyond the tribe exactly. and the problems that come from that. So yeah, like if you have a lot of uh, tribes in a certain area, they may have like, you know, within a certain distance, they may have very similar belief systems that wouldn't change over time. Like purple belief systems take a long, long time to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there wouldn't be a lot of conflict necessarily between any one and another tribe. Mm -hmm. But it's when like you get very large populations because again, with Mm -hmm. the the, the change in societal development comes with an increase in population size, partly, right? And so when you have these huge populations emerging and then people are more likely to come into contact, that's when you have people from distant enough to have different enough beliefs come into contact and then violence could emerge, Mm -hmm. right? And of course, there are are a number of other reasons. This is merely one. And so like red is then defined by striving for self-preservation and respect, right? Like if you, if you honor the ability to engage in violence, you have to have the ability to defend yourself against violence and to have these self-preservation drives and to have respect of other people. So it's like, you don't want people, you don't have to be constantly protecting yourself against violence. Mm -hmm. So you want to have a lot of respect and you want to act violently when people disrespect you because that respect is what's gonna be your first line of defense. Mm -hmm. So this also means that you value the conquering of the external world, be it nature, an enemy, or anything else. This is why most myths that emerge at Red are about heroes who survive some great trial or are war stories that glorify genocide, rape, and enslavement. If you live in a world of violent rivals, it's better to conquer them and to expand your territory as much as possible. This is, of course, where colonialism and imperialism come in. A person who is capable of this must value personal power, domination, and competition, right? There's a really telling scene in Bloodsport, which is like a stage red movie through and through, where the protagonist and the sidekick first meet. At first, there is hostility between them, but when the protagonist beats the sidekick at an arcade game, or he gains the sidekick's respect, Mm. and they become friends, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like a display of power is what gained that respect. Mm -hmm. And it's what gathers people 
because that powerful person is able to defend you in a violent mm, environment. That's interesting. You want to follow the person who is willing to throw the first punch because that's the person who's likely going to win. Yeah. Did yeah. you watch this movie in... Um, preparation. In preparation. In, yeah. In some homework for this. I did. And wow. I, watched, uh, I watched House of Saddam, which is about Saddam Hussein's rise to power. He... Spoilers. He... <laughs> At, the, at the, the original coup where he becomes like the president of Iraq, he murders his best friend, mm -hmm. right? And he said when he, like his wife comes into the room and is like crying and is like, you know, he, he, his wife was my friend. He was your friend. He was my friend. How could you do this? And Saddam turns to her and he says, the man who can sacrifice even his best friend is a man without weakness in the eyes of my enemies. I am stronger now. Whoa. That is stage red as fuck. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. But it's like, if you consider the environment in which Saddam was raised, mm -hmm. of course you would think like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe Saddam was a psychopath. Maybe he was like a special case, probably because he became president, but that is still just, it, it really encapsulates mm -hmm. stage red. And yeah. that's a big thing about stage red is that from our vantage point, we can look at that and say, oh, only a psychopath could say that. Yeah. But that's only from our vantage point. That's so true. You know, how yeah. can we really say he was a stage red person given the turmoil that he experienced in his early life? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, abuse, living in like pretty rough conditions, mm -hmm. you know. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's such a... In all, in so many examples of history and stuff and people doing really awful things, we all want to believe like, oh, I wouldn't do that. I'm not the kind of person who's capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. But we've never been in any situation even close to that. So you have no idea how you would act, you know? Yeah. And we all want to believe that we're like good people who wouldn't do something like yeah. that. But like, you don't know. For sure. I mean, yeah, like you learn in, in our psychology classes all the time about like the um, the conformity experiments that happen yep. and how easy it is to get someone to like, uh, like one of the ex conformity experiments is the ash experiment, yeah, I believe. The line test. The yeah. line test where they, they literally had people, um, I think they had like six confederates, people who were working with the researchers and one of, uh, just one um, participant. And what they do is they'd show them lines of different lengths and they'd ask the people, the, the participants, how, like, what was the longest line, mm -hmm. right? And then what the Confederates would do is that they would say that the shorter line was longer line. Mm -hmm. And in a large, like, I think a majority of cases, yeah. the single participant would agree with the other Confederates. Yeah. So even in something like that, that's like the length, one line is longer than the other, they're willing to conform mm -hmm. in that kind of environment. So when you talk about like Nazi Germany or mm -hmm. any other kind of intense environment like that, people are very likely to conform, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, we need to be aware of how these processes are working in our own minds if we don't want to be that kind of person. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So... Kind of one thing that I really wanted to, to stress is the difference between values and tools when it mm. comes to stages. Okay. And, and this kind of gets us into like why the stage red is actually important mm -hmm. uh, in today's world. And a perfect example of stage red is Walter White, mm -hmm. right? He's someone who at the start of Breaking Bad was very stage blue. He, if you've been listening to our podcast long enough, though, uh, you know that stage orange is, and I'm sorry if this gets confusing, but stage orange is the stage where science, rationality, and empiric empiricism really began to take off. Mm 
right? So obviously Walter White is definitely very scientific, very rational and values empiricism. Mm -hmm. He's a scientist. He has very clearly uh, mastered stage orange tools and skills. Mm -hmm. But I say that he's at stage blue because he's filtered those orange tools and skills through the value system of stage blue. He's a conformist. He values family, duty to the community through teaching. He's disciplined and he knows his place in the hierarchy and he doesn't rock the boat. Mm -hmm. When we contrast this with his college friend, Elliot, uh, who is not even as good a scientist as Walter is, we see how the value system of these different stages often matters more than our skill with the stages tools. Elliot is a successful businessman. He's rich. He climbed the hierarchy and put himself on top. He's very achievement oriented. That's orange. Yeah. And so as the story goes, Walter gets cancer and rather than joining the meth business, he instead joins the empire business, <laughs> right? And so he isn't motivated by money, by achievement or anything else. He's ultimately motivated by power. Mm -hmm. That line, I'm in the empire business is the embodiment of stage red. Whoa. So it's like he went the other way on the spiral. He regressed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and regression can happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. of life conditions. For sure. Uh, he got cancer. He had the stresses of supporting his family after his death on a teacher's wage when his wife is pregnant and has a, a physically disabled son. Mm -hmm. But after all that we've talked about in Stage Red, you may be asking yourself, how could it have anything of value in today's post-colonial world? Mm -hmm. Imagine what could someone with the personal power, the will, the determination and indomitability of Walter White do for oppressed people, for climate change, for any other social cause we are fighting for today. This is what you get when you filter the healthy stage red noble warrior through a healthy stage green. You get the decisiveness, the assertiveness and the passion of red with the pro-sociality of green. This is the person who will march at the head of a crowd to the parliament building to demand the end of police brutality, or who will chain themselves to a tree and say with complete conviction, I share the fate of the forest. Mm -hmm. This is the person who will do anything to achieve their goals. Again, when filtered through the healthy stage green, that doesn't mean they will, they will resort to murder or brutalities. Within the value system of stage green or higher, they will fight with everything in a way that builds people up and improves society rather than destroys and oppresses. They have stage red tools and skills filtered through the value systems of the higher stages. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. I haven't really thought about the distinctions of like tools and values. So yeah, that's really adding to my understanding as well. Cool. I mean, that's I like the, that. it's the, uh, the first time I, I made the distinction also was during this trip. Wow. Yeah. As I, I prepared for this trip and kind of like thought about what does it really mean to filter red through the higher stages or mm -hmm. any of the stages mm -hmm. through the higher stages? Like, what are you actually filtering out? Yeah. And that's what integration really is. It's like, because even if somebody is at green, which may like, I mean, we were talking about earlier how the hierarchy isn't necessarily like better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. Um, but if you have integrated the lower stages, that means that you are still capable of using those tools from a higher value system. Yeah. Yeah. But like a green who, by rejecting red from a, a stage green perspective, which is so common, you know, like that's, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why, as I was saying to you earlier when you showed up, that I was like, 
uncomfortable and almost scared of this conversation yeah because the topic of power is so sensitive right now yeah and it makes people so uncomfortable because there are so many issues with it in today's world but that's all coming from a place of having rejected it and it's showing up in all these really unhealthy ways but it just needs to be integrated for sure for it to be used helpful healthily because power isn't wrong it isn't wrong and and green is really the stage where we begin to deconstruct a lot of the power dynamics that that defined us like gender roles uh racial discrimination all of these hierarchies are that are that are motivated or, or driven by power green deconstructs mm -hmm. and that's a necessary process mm -hmm. but if you want to enact change in the world you're 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 instantiating power Mm -hmm. That is a powerful thing to do. And so power is always necessary. If you mm -hmm. want to do anything, you're yeah. exerting your power. Yeah. And so if we've deconstructed all these power dynamics to get rid of the oppressive elements of them, we need to, we need to find ways to integrate power in a way that is not oppressive. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really what my goal with this trip was. Wow. I wanted to explore how red appears in me and find a way to fully integrate red so that I can filter the healthy aspects of it through the higher value systems. Mm -hmm. That means I have to integrate the unhealthy aspects of red, which means that I have to be very self-honest about my desires for power, for conquest and domination. Yeah. I want to integrate those power drives so that I can channel that spirit for the empowerment of myself and the world. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not merely egocentric power. It, no. It's for everyone. Yeah. And that's what you were saying earlier about how it, it's a force. It can be used as a force for good. Yeah. And changes the world in these ways that we need change right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what I realized during this trip, um, which I'm not going to talk about what exactly happened during the trip itself um, necessarily, because it was honestly like I took a gram and it was just like, enough to get my mind in a psychedelic experience and I've learned how to navigate the psychedelic waters a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I was journaling and I was definitely fucking high. Mm -hmm. But it was just like a, an info dump of just yeah. like thoughts into my into my journal as I was typing. Yeah. You know? Um, but uh, so what like what I'm going to talk about then is like what I realized and part of owning my power is realizing how much I disempower myself by hiding from myself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like that when I went into this trip, I, I have was half expecting like swords and shields and like battle cries and all this kind of shit, but with psilocybin, <laughs> it's never that obvious. And yet yeah. it's so fucking simple. <laughs> by hiding elements of myself that I was ashamed of or hiding for whatever other reason, I was disempowering myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so it's like, I have these desires within me to be extremely successful. I want wild and theology to be a major player in the psychedelic community. I want it to be an empire. I want to be a well-renowned psychotherapist philosopher. There are of course, high consciousness reasons for these life goals of mine. I want to help people. I want to help our society and our species flourish and to come together in honor of our common humanity. Mm -hmm. I also want to be powerful. I cannot deny the fact that there is a need to be validated as this great thinker and to be wealthy and to have all the other trappings of social status. Mm -hmm. But everything you just described too, all of those 
lofty goals that you don't feel ashamed about like wanting yeah. to be like that is power yeah that is using your power for sure that's the thing you know and just acknowledging it as that is like owning your power and absolutely through doing that you are powerful mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what i mean when i say like you can't escape power like you if you're can't. bringing humanity together that's one of the most powerful things anybody could ever do. Yeah. You know, in a way that respects everyone's beliefs and their personhood and everything. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can't think of anything more powerful than that. Because you think of anything else we could do as a species, if we all came together in, in, in honoring each other, mm -hmm. we could do anything, any, solve any problem that we had. Yeah. You know, that, that is literally solving many of the problems that we have. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. insane. Um, but these are all drives like these ones that I'm ashamed of mm. are all drives that I have to face and accepting and, and accept are motivating me to say these very words that I'm saying right now, mm -hmm. right? It's like, I want to be vulnerable to help other people be strong in their vulnerability, but I also want people to validate me for that and to mm -hmm. recognize me for being vulnerable to say like, Oh, good mm -hmm. job, buddy. You're being mm -hmm. vulnerable and open. Like, good job. It's like, yeah. yes, feed me. Right. Like it's, yeah. I'm getting something from that for sure. You know? And it's like, there's something selfish that I get from being open and vulnerable for sure. And if I'm not careful, it's totally possible that those drives for power and recognition could lead me to corruption. Like power mm -hmm. corrupts is a cliche. Mm -hmm. like one of the most famous ones. Yeah. And, and so I had a really good example come up during this trip that I think will help explain why I believe we need to be this self-honest about these drives that we all have. Mm -hmm. There were a few things, but as a man who wants to be in a position of power and authority, I felt that the, you know, pro-social power and authority, right? Like, I felt that the insights I had about women specifically were the most important to talk about on this podcast. Mm. I mean, pretty much any of the power drives or needs for social status that we could talk about manifest themselves with a man's relationship to women. Women are sexually objectified as a means of power and control. The trophy wife is literally a status symbol. Uh, and in light of the Me Too movement as a man who wants to be in an authority, I need to be fully aware of how I am around women and how I actually make women feel. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I'm journaling about my thoughts on the psychedelic, I started digging into the whole like nice guy persona. Mm -hmm. This is something that I let go of a couple years ago. Um, but I definitely was a nice guy throughout most of high school and a little bit after. So wait, what do you mean by nice guy persona? Yeah. <laughs> so, and again, like I said, I was a nice guy, so I can kind of understand how this works. It's mm -hmm. like a nice guy is basically this guy who has like this public veneer of being nice, mm -hmm. but is actually like driven by a lot of selfish drives. Mm -hmm. Right. And it'll, it'll become clear. It'll okay. become clear. So like the nice, like the, the nice guy will become friends with a woman that he's attracted to because he could be afraid or feels like that's what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Right. He'll become friends with her first, whatever the reasons he'll get himself in the friend zone because really he's just incapable of actually being romantically forward in a way that respects her boundaries. Yeah. Right. And so from her perspective, he's a friend. He gives her emotional support and she, him, they just hang out. Maybe even he gives her like relationship advice about a relationship she is currently in, mm -hmm. but secretly he's attracted to her. Mm -hmm. Eventually 
he'll get up the courage for this like great romantic display of affection and usually she rejects him because it's fucking weird right like she, yeah he's her friend she feels like manipulated and betrayed yeah because all this time he's like been hiding these feelings for her you know yeah and so this is and again, I'm not saying that like friends can't end up dating. Of mm -hmm. course not. But like mm -hmm. this is a specific instantiation. Yeah, of this. it's like the intention was there from the beginning. And manipulation is born from a place of not being able to be upfront about your needs and desires. Yeah. You know, and then it's icky and gross. It makes everybody feel bad. Yeah. End. I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, hmm. you're, a, you're a woman, right? I'm a woman. <laughs> um, have I? No. Actually, I mean, yeah, until recently, until like you guys, I was never really that, I didn't have a lot of male friends. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. sure. Uh, well. So no one was ever like. Kaylee. What? I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, like the vision that came up for me was like, you had this guy who's like adopted the public veneer of a friend. But in secret, he was like looking for every hole he could find to like worm his way into so that he could eventually get what he wanted. Yeah. Very egocentric, very red. Yeah. This is what I wanted. I'm going to do what I need to get it. Mm -hmm. But eventually his selfish desires will worm into the wrong hole and up through the cracks he'll emerge. And I literally saw like this worm coming up, right? Mm -hmm. In my trip. And he'll I love that. emerge for everyone to see him as he really is. The worm. The worm. The issue is though... That often enough he hides how fucked up this really is from himself mm. so that he can still view himself as a good person. Fuck. Yeah. And that's why rejected nice guy gets angry and calls like his, his friend a slut for rejecting him. <laughs> because otherwise he would have to face how he isn't the nice guy after all. He makes her the villain so he doesn't have to face his own villainy. Holy shit. Yeah. And then incels are born. Ugh. That's it though. It's like, oh my God. I don't even know. I don't know. So much is coming up right now. Yeah. Bring it up. I mean, even just like this whole idea of toxic masculinity mm -hmm. is just like, I, I find it so interesting because like obviously masculinity in itself is not toxic, but it is, it seems like, I don't even know what I'm talking about here, and Go I ahead. Don't know, but like, Pop off. just like these power drives and like men being like kind of internalizing that this is wrong or bad and that they shouldn't have these um, desires and they're not taught how to like properly express yeah. their power and to be in it with also having respect and like knowledge of other people. I don't know. But like then they repress it all. Yeah. All these things that are natural and okay and don't have to be bad, but because it's repressed and because it's unacknowledged and because it's something to be ashamed of, it's still there. Put, yeah. Putting something in the shadow doesn't mean it's gone. It's still there. It's still controlling your life. Absolutely. It's just doing so from an unconscious place now. And because of that, it's going to be expressed in really unhealthy, toxic ways. Yeah. And I think that like a major reason that men get involved in these creepy ways mm -hmm. is because they are dealing with multiple drives that they feel they need to hide yeah. from other people and themselves. Yeah. Right. It's like a healthy red is assertive and decisive. Yeah. It doesn't hide things from people out of fear. Right. Yeah. It's obnoxiously audacious. Yeah. And something like sexual desire is not something to be ashamed of, but I don't know. I can't, I can't speak for every culture, but it seems like particular over here in the west it can be very taboo 
something mm-hmm. that we don't talk about and it's like all oh, awkward and if she thinks i like her if she thinks i yeah. want her like that's awkward and like we can't be friends we're not taught how to like properly deal with our sexual desires because it's not something we're educated about when we're no. young no. we're like we talk we learn about stis and whatever bullshit but like how to talk to the opposite sex how to yeah. express your desire how to have respect for people's boundaries mm-hmm. and talk about consent like fuck consent like like you said you brought up the me too movement Con- mm-hmm. consent has only just been starting to be talked talked about like we're um at, at university here in montreal and like a few years ago there was something that came out where it was like a mandatory consent workshop thing yeah, yeah. And it's like what we're in our 20s yeah i've <laughs> yeah and know? a lot of people feel insulted by that kind of thing because it's like oh i'm in my 20s like but we, I never had that when I was a kid. Yeah. We never talked about anything to do with sex except like the mechanistic, like mm-hmm. the dick goes in the hole and that has, that's how baby babies are formed. It's like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, you don't talk about like the implications of sex emotionally or socially yeah. or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. like, if you put a dick in a vagina, you'll get pregnant or an STI, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's it. But it's like as a man with a healthy red to a woman, you respect where she is, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you, you get to know her fully as herself, but you don't hide your attraction. No. You go in with a genuine desire to get to know who she is for the sheer enjoyment of experiencing a person mm-hmm. that you find attractive. Mm-hmm. And the way that you, and, and that way you respect her personhood and your own. Mm-hmm. If she's comfortable walking with you to a place of romance, she's going to come. Mm-hmm. And because you got to know her as a person, you'll know if she's the type of person you want to walk with, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like from the get-go, you don't be afraid to be honest with your romantic intentions, Mm -hmm. regardless of whatever gender, the gender of the other person. Mm -hmm. It's normal for people to meet and to be attracted to one another. As long as you are being respectful, you're offering a fun time and you're not trying to take anything from her. It's all good. Mm-hmm. It's when you're hiding your intentions, your true intentions, that things get messy. You need to balance respecting where somebody is with your own authenticity. You cannot do that if you are hiding from yourself, mm-hmm. if you're incapable of facing your own villainy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Worms. I just like, it's so like, I don't know. I'm just thinking about that worm again. And I love, I love all this because yeah. I don't know, for some reason I'm getting a lot of imagery during this, this mm-hmm. discussion. Okay. Like in my mind, I'm actually seeing like a worm. Yeah. yeah. Like, like versus what we were just talking about where like a man honoring himself and his desires and being respectful for this person. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a man, anybody in power, anybody in their own personal power who honors their desires and is aware of what they want Mm -hmm. and is comfortable expressing that with respect for the other person that they're interacting with. I imagine these people like in a hallway walking together and it's like all out in the open, there's space around them and stuff. Okay. And then this other wormy character is like (laughs) the, the one person, the object of desire, the person of desire is walking alone. And then the worm is just like, creeping around on the walls and in the corners and stuff and yeah, just like, yeah it's just not it's not honest no and it's not respectful no it's like it's gross fucking whispering in it's her ear you know gross. what i mean yeah exactly like it's like, like a picture like grima worm tongue just oh. like fucking whispering up to him, my lady it's like <laughs> it's fucking so weird yeah. like just be upfront and honest about what you want and it's like if the other person says no then okay that's fine yeah you know it's like 
I've like asked out girls at school, for example, mm -hmm. and I'm afraid to ask them out, not because I think it's going to be weird, but because I'm thinking, oh, they'll think that I'll make it weird. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, no, no. Like I've asked girls out, like I asked this one girl at one time and uh, I saw her in class. I sat down and you could see like her kind of tense up. Right. Yeah. And I just started like talking to her normally as if like nothing had ever happened. And it was totally fine. And she became comfortable around me. And we started talking and stuff like that. She would like help me with homework and stuff. And it's like, it just mm -hmm. moved on mm -hmm. because it was like, oh, I, she wasn't into it. I think she was dating somebody actually at the time actually, but mm -hmm. she just wasn't into it for whatever reason is hers. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. There are an abundance of people out there. I'm not going to just be like, oh, this one girl said no. Mm -hmm. If I'm such a person that I could never find another human being to like be romantically interested in mm -hmm. that's something that i have to look into myself because mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that way yeah you know that is interesting how you said she like tensed up yeah because yeah like from a female's perspective there is like this this feeling that this man is trying to get something from me yeah. and if i don't give it or if i don't yeah if i don't provide him and his desires that he's then i'm now useless yeah and that he'll just like either have some negative intention yeah with continuing to be around me or he just will fuck off completely yeah you know yeah and mm -hmm. so you feel kind of like pressured like yeah yeah for sure we're just like like yeah there's a there is a natural defensive reaction mm -hmm. yeah. and I, I i get that and i'm like i'm i try to be very sympathetic or empathetic to that mm -hmm. where it's like and like I said earlier, like I'm afraid to ask girls out because I'm like, oh, they'll think that I'll make it weird and I don't want to make them uncomfortable in that way. Yeah. Where it's like, it should be okay to ask somebody out and to have the romantic interest because like you as a person should be, have like enough self-love and communication skills to be able to meet other people. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's people who are in very scarce, who are very scarce when it comes to women, um, where they make it all about this one woman and just become obsessive about that because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I have to make it work with her because if it doesn't work with her, it'll never work. It's like, mm -hmm. if you have basic communication skills, if you're fun, if you're confident and you can like go out into different social environments and meet people, mm -hmm. it's just like one girl that could potentially work and if it doesn't, that's okay and you move on mm -hmm. because there are a, an abundance of people out there to meet. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, like you were saying how you try to be empathetic to the fact that they might be uncomfortable that the girls you approach might be uncomfortable mm. by that like that's also really important because yeah. you know it's not just you being in your power and being in your authenticity it's yeah. like the person you're interacting with has their whole own lifetime of experiences with people and their own internalized ideas of what, yeah what the, these types of relationships entail so you know like yeah that's really important to consider. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's part of the communication skills is like, it's not merely about being a good communicator. It's also about being a good listener of both mm -hmm, mm -hmm. language and body language, mm -hmm. where it's like, if you, if you go up to a, a girl in class or at work or whatever it is, and you start kind of like conveying that romance, that romance, um, you need to be aware of how that's making her feel. Mm -hmm. Like if, like if, a woman you're talking to like kind of like hunches her shoulder and crosses her arms and is like, I don't want to talk about this by body language. And you're just like continuing being like, are you interested in what I'm saying? Are you interested in what I'm saying? Yeah, you want to yeah, fuck? Yeah. It's like, that's an issue in communication skills that you yeah. need to work on. Like you, we need to teach people to be able to read body language yeah. for every occasion, not just those occasions, but especially those occasions. Because mm -hmm. 
as, as fun as romance can be, it can also be very intimidating and stressful for people when they are the, um, the, the, the receiver of unwanted attention, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 I've been the receiver of unwanted attention. I know. Any like kind of persistence, like when mm. you've given like, no, like I'm not interested and they continue. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you're making me uncomfortable. Like yeah. it's uncomfortable. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Like, are you okay when like a guy shows his interest the first time and you just say no? Mm-hmm. That's like something you can yeah, tolerate, Yeah, for right? sure. Like I like, I'm, I'm pretty open to that and mm. like I, I appreciate it. I'm all flattered when men respectively respectfully yeah. express desire and I, I respect them doing that and being upfront about it. You know, mm. I'm like, good for you. Like I, I appreciate that you see how amazing I am. Um <laughs> and that you had the balls to be like, hey, yeah. let's like do something about that. Um there's I, I see no problem. That doesn't make me uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah, not okay. at all. But like if they are like weird about it if I say no and like continue that's when we have a problem you tried we didn't reciprocate but it's fine I mean that would be that is like part of the the problem that I see in that kind of stuff where it's like it's denying our our, the very human element the very human element of romance Mm -hmm. like we are humans we're romantically involved and that's a beautiful part of being human it's like we shouldn't hide that from view and like you said like uh, if if it's done in a respectful way, which men should learn how to do, which we'd never learn how to do, mm-hmm. if it's done in a respectful way and you say no, it's fine. If mm-hmm. they can take that no and move on. Yeah. Right? But we've we've created such a toxic environment around that because we don't teach men how to respectfully do it mm-hmm. and to take rejection mm-hmm. that the whole well has become poisoned where like even a one-time thing like if you're listening to this and you're like oh even once fucking annoys me mm-hmm. that's only because most men aren't taught how to do it respectfully yeah. if they're taught how to do it respectfully i doubt any woman you know barring anxiety issues or anything like that yeah. would be very uncomfortable with a one-time thing yeah right and even then if she has anxiety issues a guy who knows how to do it would be able to deal with those anxiety issues will be like oh I'm, I'm so sorry for making you uncomfortable i hope you have a wonderful day and also taking ownership of one's own emotions like on the female side yeah. you know like yeah. i have been uncomfortable before mm-hmm. too but I, and like i've also realized that like they did it respectfully it was just like i was just anxious and weird at the time you know mm-hmm. and that's that's fine it's yeah. still fine yeah. You know? I mean, again, like we can get into like <laughs> this crusade against the school system and what we need to learn, but it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, emotional regulation skills on both sides, communication skills on both sides. A lot of these problems would be solved. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's like moving on from that though, mm-hmm. I'm not a nice guy anymore. Yeah. I've dealt with that. Uh, it took me a little bit of, you know, it's work, a lot of like embarrassment, like getting mm-hmm. over that. Mm-hmm. But there are still roles that I play. Mm-hmm. There are still desires that I have, motivations that push me forward that aren't completely coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. We all have these. And if we aren't willing to face them and own them, we will end up in some analogous situation where we are calling the friend we manipulated and betrayed a slut because she rejected us. Mm-hmm. The various power drives that we have must be brought into our conscious awareness 
so that we can ignite ourselves to go after those things that we desire rather than having them unconsciously triggered by the things around us that pull us toward things we don't really desire. Mm -hmm. That's what modern marketing does. It uses sex, fame, and materialistic possession to ignite those power drives within us Mm -hmm. so that we'll work harder or more hours or whatever else it is just so that we can buy their product. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's like thriving off of the fact that these drives are unconscious. Yeah. You know, it's working on that subconscious level. If you operate in a society in which people are taught to be ashamed of sex Mm -hmm. and then all you see around you are marketing using sex, that's some weird shit to work your way through. Because you're constantly being triggered to pursue sex. You have no idea how to do so and you're shamed for doing so. Mm -hmm. And that just leads to some messy situations to put it lightly yeah you know and and so but by making our power drives conscious objects of our awareness no matter how scary it might be to notice those drives within ourselves we step between that process and are instead able to use those power drives for something far more valuable instead of hiding our manipulations from ourselves and others look them straight in the face and accept we are all selfish human beings with low petty desires and that's okay Mm -hmm. we are all human i am only human i may never transcend the selfish petty desires that shape each and every one of us but by shining the light of consciousness onto them rather than rejecting them into shame-induced entombment somewhere deep in my psyche Mm -hmm. i see them and how they actually shape my decision making Mm -hmm. i am attracted to women i desire women i love that women are in the workplace But that means that if I want to co-create a workplace where they feel respected, I have to face the fact that every time I see a woman, my natural impulse is to size her up sexually. Mm. I do that like unconsciously. It's every time I walk in a room, I'm looking around being like, oh, she's hot. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting, too, because it's like obviously there are like biological drives towards sex Mm -hmm. and stuff and like. And maybe this is an like a reason, um, maybe this is an example of how repressing that and being ashamed of it leads it to be expressed in unhealthy ways. But, you know, just like the society we live in and like how much women are like presented as sex objects, like how much yeah. that has shaped your psychology in For like sure. how you view women, you know? Because like, I think there's always like, there's, mm. there's this kind of like almost... Um, default to the biological like this like excuses everything like i am a man i have these drives so i'm gonna look at women like this and like people use that as an excuse to be shitty Mm -hmm. sometimes but it's like okay yeah maybe that's a part of it and obviously that has shaped Mm -hmm. the culture that now shapes your mind even further you know like it's kind of inextricable but i mean there's no denying that women have been presented in a way that have shaped you to to do that. And it's not just your biology, you know? Absolutely. I, I agree with that completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think it's a both end when it comes yeah. to biology and culture. It's, yeah. it's, you know, one feeds into the other, which feeds into the other. And it's, yeah. it's to really, you know, one thing that we always learn in psychology is that to piece apart nature and nurture yeah. is just difficult as fuck to do. Yeah. It's never just one. Yeah. But, and I'm definitely not using biology to justify that behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that no matter what I do currently, yeah, that's what's happening. And, and maybe yeah. I'll get to a point where that doesn't happen. And, and if that's 
that that's possible, then yeah. I think what I'm saying here will lead to that. Mm-hmm. But right now, that's what happens. Yeah. And if yeah. I hide from that, if I repress yeah. that, it's still going to happen because I've never dealt with it. Exactly. If I want to get over that, I have to face the fact that, yeah, when I walk into a room with women, I'm thinking, which one do I want to fuck the most? Mm-hmm. To put it bluntly. Wow. And that's crazy. And like just you saying that alone yeah. is like, holy shit. Triggering, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> and like, yeah. But you have to, because yeah. like, if you didn't say that and you didn't acknowledge that and you were like, no, I don't do that. I don't look. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you meet women and women don't want to hear that, yeah. you know, like, because it is, it's triggering and yeah. like, <laughs> and you might be like, oh, like, I'm not like other guys. Like, I just, I only have eyes for you. And like, oh fuck, we can get into a whole That's monog- the nice whole guy monog- strategy, dude. Yeah, That's the nice like, guy uh, strategy. But, oh my God, that's oh, so manipulative. And, um. That would never change. If you don't face it. If you don't face it, if you don't yeah. own up to it, if you don't like acknowledge like this is something in my psyche, this is something yeah. that is happening. For sure. You know? And then it'll always be the subject and never the object of awareness. <laughs> you know, you'll be like living yeah, through yeah. that and you'll be unaware that it's shaping your life instead of getting this perspective like, hey, this is part of me. I am capable of all of these things. I have the potential for evil and all mm. of this negativity. And by acknowledging that, I can have control over that to some degree or like yeah. to gain control over that. Yeah. And not act from that place unconsciously. But you have to be able to admit that to yourself first yeah. and admit it here live on air. Like, live on air, yeah. <laughs> to the for world. everyone to see. <laughs> for colleagues to what can what? listen to this and be like, <laughs> he's thinking that when he sees me. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. And it's like, I don't, I, I want to co-create a, a workplace where, people, where women feel respected. Mm-hmm. I, like my goal is to not do that in a way that's manipulative or disrespectful or takes away from a woman's right to be in a workplace where she's not sexualized mm-hmm. right that's my goal in doing this mm-hmm. uh and, and so so like what came up during uh a conversation i actually had with my roommate at the end of the trip uh is kind of like imagine that you have all your motivations for achieving success or whatever it is like all the motivations that drive you sitting in a row in front of you right and then on one end there are your petty low consciousness drives like I walk into a room and I'll just see which women I want to fuck, right? And on the other side are all the high consciousness drives. Like, I want to co-create a respectful workplace for all genders. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine that you've aligned all of these drives toward one single purpose so that you can actually like see the energy rising up toward this single point above them. It's like a triangle of power you are going to have an insane amount of motivation to achieve that purpose. Mm. All your motivations are aligned. However, let's say you are unconscious to some of those drives, say your desire for sex, for example, that you've rejected out of shame. It may still be what drives you for that purpose, but eventually you'll come to a place in your life where there's, where this drive is not being adequately satisfied or gets triggered in some way. Mm-hmm. some of that energy is going to bleed off towards another point, another purpose without you realizing it. Because again, out of shame, you've rejected those drives. Mm-hmm. Just like with the nice guy who has deluded himself about the fact that he's manipulating a friend just so that he can fuck her. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. He isn't willing to look at himself and what's driving him. And because of that, he has disempowered himself from simply being honest from the start and is now motivated to act in shady, manipulative ways. Mm. What I'm saying is that if we want to make sure that we are not being influenced by our unconscious drives, we need to let go of our shame and our shoulds about how we should be. However we ought to be, we are the way that we currently are. Mm. I am going to be attracted to some of the women I work with. I need to be okay sitting in that attraction, having it in my conscious awareness, and then choosing to act in ways that are respectful and mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so important. I was, I mean, I really like um, <laughs> Freud's model, actually. And we were talking about this earlier, yeah, but you yeah. know, it's like the superego with all these lofty ideals of like, this is who I ought to be. Yeah. You know, but then the id is like sub unconscious sexual drives and like aggressive impulses and stuff. And the ego is just trying to like consolidate the two. Mm. It's trying to be like, yeah, I want to believe I'm all these good things and like that I do the right thing and I'm not, I'm not the shitty person. But if all of that stuff is happening at the unconscious level, like it's still driving you. And just like, if you can bring through integration, bringing it into your consciousness, all sides of yourself. Yeah. And accepting that, owning that, that's the only way you can genuinely act from a place of respect for yourself and others. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because again, like I was talking about like this, these unconscious drives, like branching off to achieve some hidden purpose. Mm -hmm. It's like that happens all the time. Yeah. All the time. It's like, you know, I'm sitting here being like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. And then suddenly I have McDonald's in front of me and I'm eating McDonald's. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, um, that's exactly that. Mm -hmm. It's like, why do you think you do the things that you do where you're mm -hmm. you, after the fact, you're like, why did I do that? It's mm -hmm. because a certain drive likely that you're unconscious to has branched, was triggered, branched off to a different purpose. And now you achieve that purpose. Yeah. I don't want that. No, I, yeah. I don't want to be eating unhealthy foods that don't serve me or mm. are hurting the environment or are abusive to animals or whatever it is. It's like, yeah. I want to be doing those things that are aligning themselves with my higher purpose, my yeah. higher self. And that means owning my lower self. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's a huge part of your psyche that does want to eat those things or yeah. act in those ways. I mean, I'm vegetarian. I can't yeah. tell you how often I want to eat meat. Yeah. <laughs> like all exactly. the time. And then it'll, it'll lead you astray if you're not conscious of it. Yeah. You know, and like that's, a powerful force that we all have in our psyches, you know? Yeah. And like you were saying, the, the triangle of power, when, when you have all of those drives and you're accepting of them, mm. and when they're all, all of that power and all of that energy is going towards your purpose because it's coming from a conscious place, that is so powerful and that's strong. But as soon as like, if you're unconscious of something, that's when it, that doesn't take that power away. That doesn't mm. take that energy from that drive away. It's just going to lead you in, um, it's going to lead you astray in mm. a way that you don't want. And that's when you find yourself eating McDonald's, yeah, eating yeah. meat. Even if you're like, I don't want to do this consciously. I don't believe in this. I don't think this is right. Mm. But then you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And I think so many people, it can be scary sometimes. Like, you know, the ways you can act and the situations you can find yourself in. And you're just like, 
I didn't know I was capable of this. I didn't know I had this mm. in me. I don't like this about myself. Why am I like this? And you can feel like out of control. Yeah. But it's just a lack of consciousness. Exactly. And I mean, like one of the, the a funny little story about being vegetarian mm -hmm. is that when I was like having the role of vegetarian, but like caving in and eating meat and like, but telling people that not telling people that mm -hmm. that's when I was eating a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. But when I started being honest and just being like, oh yeah, like I, I try to be a ve best vegetarian I can. Like sometimes I cave and I eat meat. Mm -hmm. Whoa, holy fuck. I stopped eating meat all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. stopped caving on weekends. Yeah. Um, because like I just stopped hiding that from other people. And through that, it, it allowed me to stop hiding it from myself. Yeah. And deluding myself about how much I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. You know? For sure. And if you want to be a powerful person, if you want to make the world a good place, you have to stop in disempowering yourself by hiding from yourself. Wow. Stage red doesn't hide from itself. It's impulsive, hedonistic, and ruled by whatever drives it cur it's currently feeling. Yeah. At its worst, this makes it very volatile and downright violent. When filtered through the higher stages, we are able to see our drives for sex, fame, wealth, and funnel them toward a higher purpose that makes the world a better place. Mm -hmm. It gives us the motivation and the sense of empowerment to actually pursue that purpose. And so, integration. I think the answer is quite simple. I need to live my authenticity audaciously. Mm -hmm. To not be afraid of myself and who I am and what drives me, to face myself fully and say, again, I am a human being. I have petty desires. I am not fucking perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I want to face them head on and integrate them because I want to be a good person who offers amazing things to the world. That means accepting the villainy that lives within me and giving it love and not feeling about it as if it is a villain. Mm -hmm. Because it's all me. It's all part of me. And it doesn't have to be a villain. I want to use those drives, those elements of myself to be powerful and to be okay being powerful. Isn't that so relieving too? Like yeah. just being like accepting of yourself, you For know, sure. like, oh, sometimes it's so exhausting to just like want to be, to need to be, to put pressure on yourself to be so good all mm. the time. <laughs> especially when in like self-development and stuff you're like you want to believe that you're the thing that you're striving for and yeah. not the one striving you mm -hmm. know we it's like you have this ideal for yourself you have you know who you want to be you've mm -hmm. thought about that you have your values in order you know that's who you want to be mm -hmm. but wanting to be that and being it are different things and you can only be where you're at yeah that's it. That's all you can do. Yeah. And it's freeing to accept that and to accept yourself as you are, because that's from that place. That's the place where you can do the real work mm. in becoming that ideal for yourself. Because if you always just like get caught up in the self delusion that you already are that thing, then you will never actually be that thing because you're still unconscious to all the ways that you're not. Yeah. yeah. And you're just denying it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like it's it's part of the process of becoming. Mm -hmm. You're always in a state of becoming a little bit more, mm -hmm. and that's why, like in our last podcast, we we didn't make the distinction, or not our last podcast, but a, the Why Self Develop podcast. We didn't make the distinction in the podcast, but afterward, after consideration, we said there's like self love, and it's broken down into self development and self acceptance. Mm -hmm. The process of becoming is self love. Because you're accepting who you currently are, but you're also becoming more developed, mm -hmm. right? You're always in this process and it's always moving toward some direction. But by being conscious, as, as conscious as possible, you're going to be moving in a, in a direction that you want to go. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so it also means, though, being more authentic with others. Being powerful in my authenticity with others in the sense that I'm not going to hide elements of myself to appease people, right? It's that people pleasing. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work on it, but it's like, it's, it's a becoming. Mm -hmm. it's, there's always more to do. There's always things that I feel ashamed about or that I feel that I have to hide from people when it's like, why am I hiding this from somebody? Mm. But obviously in a way that respects people's boundaries, a lot of the things that disempower me are things that I have imposed upon myself. But by being self-honest and working my way through them, I will become a very powerful person. But I'm not just talking about the external manifestations of power like fame, wealth, or positions we might have that give us influence over other people, right? Like systemic power. Mm -hmm. It's also about our internal sense of power. Someone without a lot of those external manifestations can still be very powerful. It's that force of personality. Mm -hmm. Part of being powerful is also being aware of how we influence the people around us. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that the more powerful we become, the more confident we become, the better able to sway people to our belief systems we become. Mm -hmm. Even if they wouldn't necessarily agree with it or even if our beliefs are healthy or wrong. Mm -hmm. People get swept away by ideas and things in the moment. We must respect that and them. Mm -hmm. Again, by starting with self-honesty, I bring into my conscious awareness those drives that are motivating my power toward anti-social ends mm -hmm. so that I can channel them back towards something far more beautiful. Mm -hmm. By stepping out of the way of my own desire to be powerful, I put myself in a position to help empower others. It's like you said before about how power is inescapable. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm really getting at is the fact that you have power. Yeah. And however you use it is from where you're at in your development. And obviously yeah. you want to use that power for good and you don't wish to hurt people. Consciously, you know, consciously. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just really important to be aware of where the other person is at when, yeah. when in whatever engagement you have, you know, like to just to be conscious of where they're at and like how your power is influencing them, yeah. even if it is for good or I mean, from your perceived idea of good, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you are on your development and you are trying to have this healthy, integrated stage red power over mm. yourself and in your influence in the world. But that's where you're at. And like whoever you come into contact with in your life, it's important to just be conscious of where they're at and how you're shaping them. Mm -hmm. You know? 
Yeah. Because, yeah, even if it's like a nice idea, like you're like encouraging someone to self-develop or something, it could still be um, manipulative or, or negative in some other way. And just always being, remaining conscious of your own power is like essential as to not abuse it ultimately. Well, I think again, I said earlier that stage green is really about like deconstructing power dynamics. Yeah. And it's because like power is always manipulative in a sense, because it's like, even right now, like I'm exerting power over this conversation because I'm the one who's talking and by talking, I'm like stopping you from talking. So I am controlling the conversation right now. That's Mm -hmm. an act of power. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I have to be aware of the fact that by every word that I'm saying is directing the conversation somewhere that may not be where you want the conversation to go. Mm-hmm. And usually it's like a co-creative process. That's fun. We're doing it to each other. We don't, yeah. we don't think about this and I don't think it's healthy to be consciously thinking about yeah. that, but it's like, that still is what is happening. And it's like, I need to be conscious of the fact that like, there are some topics that I shouldn't go to war because they could make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. or that they could disrespect you. Or, you know, there are certain things that I could do that would just be like completely, disrespectful and it's like that's my point in all this is to be conscious of how these power dynamics are working not to try to free yourself from them because you can't and so by trying to free yourself from them you're simply repressing them so that they can drive you toward unhealthy ends Mm -hmm. but to simply be aware that there is a power dynamic going on Mm -hmm. and to do your best to respect where the other person is respect where you currently are and try to co-create something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, like I'm only at my own, my current stage of development. I can only do as good as I'm currently capable of doing. Yeah. And so that's why self-development is so important so that I, over time I increase the good that I'm capable of doing with the power that I have. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that's, I would say that that's the biggest realization that I had during this trip is just like, I have to be honest about what these drives within me are Mm -hmm. Uh, and to stop them from disempowering me and to stop them from motivating me to exert my power in ways that could harm other people. Mm -hmm. And that self-honesty is hard. I mean, that's, that's why, like, I mean, it took a mushroom trip to be able to like begin thinking about this stuff because usually we don't want to we don't want to think about the stuff that we hide from ourselves so like who knew that's so true you know? <laughs> it's like um but it's it's necessary it is absolutely necessary For and sure <sighs> and it's so amazing yeah. that you are able to like have access to a tool like mushrooms yeah. to be able to like create that mental space where you're and also that just like and also the physical space that you gave yourself that time. You're like, okay, I'm going to explore this topic. And mm-hmm. this is a tool that I'm using to shuffle things around in my mind to make things more available for me to really yeah. look at myself and become conscious, bring more into consciousness. You're kind of cracking that door open to the unconscious and like letting it come in. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Good job, Will. Good use of mushrooms. Thank you. Good use of psychedelics. <laughs> Am I a good boy? Yes, you are. You're a good boy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's like we, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast where, like, not only are psychedelics opening up your unconscious and, like, make putting you in a state where this stuff can happen, but then you have 
four to six hours, sometimes 12 to 15 hours mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, this is all you can do, but yeah. think your way through this. And yeah. so, yeah, just take the opportunity to do that every once in a yeah, while. Like that's for sure. It's important. I it mean, is. obviously we think that because we're doing this podcast, it you know, it, it's, it, it's such a beautiful thing that we get to live through the psychedelic renaissance to like yeah. see these tools, not only be come more mainstream, but also to learn more about how they work so people can use them in positive ways. Yeah. Yeah. And to feel freer in exploring our consciousness. Like this yeah. is, I mean, it's still pretty taboo. I think I forget about how taboo it is, it is sometimes because obviously oh, yeah. I, I hang out with people who are <laughs> on the same, similar or same paths of like, yeah. you know, they're on their, living their life. I don't know, whatever. They accept that kind of mm -hmm. behavior. But then you talk to somebody else and they're like, oh, what? That's crazy. That's what? crazy. And also like sometimes I, I'll meet people who are like still terrified of yeah. psychedelics and like, oh, like I could never do that because I'm scared of what would happen. Mm. You know, people who don't, aren't like in a place where they feel ready to explore yeah. their consciousness in that way, which is, which is all, I think, it, I think it's scary that people are closed off to doing that because yeah. from what I understand, like what we're all talking about, what we're talking about here is that the more that remains unconscious, the more we are disempowered yeah. by it. Exactly. And it's like, number one, the, the thing that came up was like, people are afraid to do psychedelics. That fear is what drives bad trips. Mm -hmm. The more you're afraid you are of doing the psychedelic, if you ever end up doing it, that's just going to pain your experience and lead to like experiences that make other people afraid of doing psychedelics. Mm -hmm. It's one of the, the bad things about fucking the drug war of all the things that they're bad with that. Yeah. It's like they've created an environment in which the drugs are used even worse than they could be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, I, I don't think we should get into the legalization topic right now because no. it's a big fucking topic, but I think that's true at least. Mm -hmm. uh, but secondly, it's also like, yeah, a lot of the, the, the things you hear in the news where it's just like, how could that person do that? Like, mm -hmm. they're probably thinking the same thing. Like, how could I have done that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, like, it's, it's easy to say, oh, they're just a monster. They're an evil person. It's like, yeah. no, they're a normal person just like you and I. They mm -hmm. were just like given a certain set of, of beliefs and behaviors throughout their life that led them to act in ways that they're completely unconscious to or unconscious to whatever degree they were that led them to act in ways that we can look at and say that was monstrous yeah you know and it's it just comes back to the ash conformity experiment mm -hmm. we all have like these impulses within us that make us act in ways that could lead to really really anti-social behavior to say the least and yeah. so it's good that we're getting tools to reverse that mm -hmm. yeah if that made sense it is good yeah <laughs> <laughs> anything else you want to say no i not at the moment but i've really enjoyed this conversation yeah and thank you so much for being so open thank you and honest about mm -hmm. your experience and it's it's really it is inspiring this is yeah. a lot that we talked about it's these are important conversations to have. And yeah. I think, you know, if this stimulates reflection in whoever listens, it certainly has in me. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it was definitely extremely 
nerve wracking a little bit because I'm like talking about like, again, the light of the Me Too movement where we're talking about a lot of this kind of uh, man to woman stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm scared about like what people might think of me when I talk about like what I think when I walk into a room and there's women in that room, mm -hmm. right? It, it's, it's embarrassing and it's, it makes me ashamed, yeah. but that's all the more reason to like set aside that embarrassment and shame and to yeah. talk about it and be like, yeah, that's what I think when I walk into a room. And it's not yeah. like the only thing I think, like I also walk in and be like, I, yeah, I don't want to paint myself as like, yeah, I'm talking to you and I'm just thinking, yeah. how can I fuck Kaylee? It's yeah. like, that's not it. Like, I yeah. love you as my friend yeah. and I want to have, um, I want to know you and help you. And it's like, we have conversations about like, um, issues that you're going through, issues that I'm going through. And it's like, I'm there as a friend. Yeah. But when I walk into a room, I think, who do I want to fuck in this room? And so it's like, it's both. And it's both those things. And if I want to lead toward the more positive things i need to be conscious yeah as i said multiple times yeah and i'm sure you're not <laughs> not even not not the only man who thinks like that but yeah, like, yeah yeah probably every vast man, majority every man listening to this is like this dude's fucked yeah. i don't think this is all and they're being <laughs> honest and it's like oh my god i'm just really really fucked <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah. so like yeah like speaking to that is gonna make people feel like yeah themselves like oh maybe like it's okay it's okay yeah. to acknowledge these things in ourselves and reflect on them yeah i mean whatever it is it doesn't whatever it is yeah it, it, like maybe you're a man who's listening to this and you're like oh i kind of faced that before but like that's not a huge issue for me and again you're being honest about that mm -hmm. that's awesome like good for you but yeah there are probably certain things that you are dealing with that you're that you're hiding from yourself and so mm -hmm. i'm not asking you to dig deeply into yourself and like try to find some villainy within you yeah but I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is just like, be more conscious. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Like if you notice something within yourself that you're ashamed, set aside that shame and kind of explore it and see what that's telling you about yourself. And yeah. like always do it from a place of love and understanding and compassion for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's never like a tool to use to beat yourself up with. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. We're coming to the end of the podcast. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you yeah. so much for coming along for the ride. Yeah. If, uh, if you like what we're doing, if you like this podcast, again, you can find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Wild and Theology. Um, same picture as the podcast, so you should be able to find it. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Have a really good day. Have a good day.